According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs chapter 15 this morning, Proverbs 15. And uh, we left off, we were about five minutes short last week, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to get started on verses 10 and 11, um, since it's so, so deep and there's so much here. So we left off uh, having finished everything out of verse 9, and we're ready now this morning to look at verses 10 and 11. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. And so, uh, you know when you see words like Sheol and Abaddon, you know we're, uh, we're heading to some pretty deep stuff, okay? And uh, that's where we are here this morning. So let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our study today, shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the blessing that we have to assemble together, thankful for so many answers to prayer. Father, uh, we just give you the praise and glory for all that you do. We call upon your faithfulness again this hour to open the eyes of our understanding and to bless our time of study, particularly when we examine uh, some angelic conflict principles. We identify Sheol and Abaddon. We uh, study the distinctions between humanity and angelity. Teach us, uh, teach us what you would have for us to learn. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so we're going to talk about divine discipline this morning. Grievous punishment is divine discipline. This is the hand of God's discipline upon us when we are walking in apostasy, forsaking the way. And so this is the ninth point of study out of chapter 15. Temporal divine discipline even up to the sin unto death. That's the maximum, all right? That's kind of game over at that point. When God takes us out through the sin unto death, that concludes our divine discipline Uh, because uh, even the biggest loser that dies the sin unto death in the church age, uh, we are face to face with Jesus Christ and there's no more discipline, all right? Discipline only takes place within the boundaries of time, within the boundaries of our mortality here on earth. Temporal divine discipline, even up to the sin and the death, are the particular privileges of humanity. Fallen angels don't get the divine discipline that we get. It's unique to humanity, and in fact it's a privilege of being a son, privilege of being a daughter, is that we have this discipline. In contrast to the heartless, invisible realm of creation. To the heartless, invisible realm of creation. And I do call the angels heartless, although I have found verses that, uh, that can prove angelic hearts, and so we'll talk about that this morning as well. Um, but nevertheless, uh, that's why I put heartless in quotes. Uh, I think to be technical, they have hearts, uh, just like uh, you know animals have hearts. But the heart that is after God's image, the heart that is in the image of God, and the heart that images God is the human heart, and that's not the angelic heart. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, so we have these principles. Grievous punishment for him who forsakes the way. Grievous. And this is uh, why, what makes it grievous? Because it's not necessary. It's tragic. It's unnecessary. 
The only reason for it is that we have chosen to put ourselves in that position. And that had we made better choices, had we walked in the light, there would be no such punishment. It's grievous because it's unnecessary. It's grievous because we brought it upon ourselves and uh, in the aspects there. For him who forsakes the way. We talk about this as well. These, I'm just reading the phrases here from verse 10. We'll outline it in the subpoints. Uh, forsaking the way. Think about it in terms of uh, departure, in terms of apostasy. Only believers can forsake the way because unbelievers are never on the way. Unbelievers are never in the light. Unbelievers you cannot commit apostasy. It's like you can't depart from somewhere you've never been. I have never departed from uh, South Africa, right? Because I've never been to South Africa. You can't depart from a place you've never been. And so you can't depart from truth if you've never been in the truth or from light. Forsaking the way requires that you have been on, the, on that path, in the way. And we're going to describe these terms for you as we work our way through. He who hates reproof will die. He who hates reproof will die. It's God's children that get reproof. It's God, God doesn't reprove the unbeliever. Why would He reprove the unbeliever? He says if you're without discipline, then you're illegitimate, you're not sons. And so the unbeliever, he answers to his father. You and I answer to our father. And when Jesus said, you are of your father the devil and you desire to do the things that are pleasing to him, that's the description of the unregenerate. That's the description of the unbeliever. And so the unbeliever faces Satan's discipline or Satan's wrath or Satan's good pleasure or Satan's rewards and uh, and has to deal with that. We don't deal with any of that. We have our Father's discipline uh, that we are subject to. Then verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men? How much more? And so here we have a contrast. We have Sheol and Abaddon on the one hand, and then we have humanity on the other hand. And they are put in a, in a contrast whereby the, the humanity is the how much more proportional greater than the angelity, than Sheol and Abaddon. Okay? And so we're going to see the contrast is angels with humans. The contrast is Sheol and Abaddon, which is angelic terminology on the one hand, and then uh, humanity, the hearts of men on the other hand. Okay? And so this is just basic logic, basic thought. And I think it gets lost. It gets, it gets uh, misplaced in some respects. You know, and I got in trouble on Sunday when I used my throwing like a girl illustration. But until I find a better one, I'm going to stick with it. Okay? You know, and, and, and of course I have two sons and two daughters and it was always fun growing up and watching them grow up. And, uh, and you know, telling Alethea or telling Zoe that you throw like a girl. Okay? And then they'd be all indignant and they'd say, Dad, I am a girl. And, oh, okay, well then great, that explains it, all right? And that's not designed to be insulting and I'm not, in, I'm not denigrating girls and telling them they're inferior to boys on the basis of how they throw baseballs. Not saying any such thing. However, the, 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 the point, the linguistic point, I was making then and I am making now, is that if you are drawing a comparison with something, then that comparison is something different. Okay? That comparison is something different. So it's not correct to say you throw like a girl if you're talking to a girl. Okay? But if you tell a boy you throw like a girl, 
then, all right, now I've made a valid statement. Because like a girl is only a valid uh, description if you're not a girl, right? It's like the serpent. Here, let me show you another one. Hold your, hold your uh, finger here in, in uh, Proverbs 15 and, and look at Genesis 3. In Genesis 3.1, this gets lost. You know, and this is just basic thought. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now what does that tell you? Because it doesn't tell you the serpent was the most crafty of all the beasts of the field, as if he was one of them. It says the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, meaning he was not one of them. The serpent of this passage is not a zoological uh, serpent created with the other land animals on day six because he was more crafty than all of them. All of that, right? And to be more than means you're not part of that group. See? You know, and then we, that's how language works. And it doesn't matter if it's English, Greek, Hebrew, I don't care, Spanish, French, whatever. All right? It's just thought. It's just, uh, it, it's, it's actually set logic. If you have sets, and you have things that are a part of a set or not a part of a set, and it's greater than or less than, things, things of that nature. So here is, here is more crafty than, and the serpent actually is an, is an object outside of a, a set, beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, and he was more crafty than that entire set. He can't be a part of that set. Right? Doug, you have a question on that? That's a different question. Ask me that tonight or next week. No, no Q&A tonight. All right. Talking animals. The, uh, now Proverbs 15, so if uh, how much more the hearts of men, we have now a contrast that's being drawn. And the how much more is infinitely more. It is, it is, it is to such a degree that it's just how much more. It's, it's left as a as a large uh, proportional uh, difference. And we recognize that they're different things. The hearts of men is something different than Sheol and Abaddon. So what could it be then that's in contrast to humanity that is accountable before the Lord, that has a moral accountability? Well, as we teach it, of course, in, uh, in creation, He's the creator of all things visible and invisible. Uh, everything in heaven and on earth that uh, beyond, of course, the physical universe of planets and plants and fish and birds and animals. But the moral realm is angels and men. Humanity and angelity. Humanity and angelity, those are the moral realms that have volitional capacity to obey God for blessing or disobey God for discipline. Okay? No animal has volition to disobey God. See? they have no moral volition to disobey God. All right? Again, I'm going to get emails, that's fine. Uh, I won't be checking email till tomorrow, so just don't you know. Um, they, they, animals can make choices. They can make instinctive choices. They can make trained choices. They can learn. You know, mice can find their way to the cheese in a maze, and dogs and animals can be very clever, okay? And they can learn, and they can make choices, Okay? And I think they can, and, but those aren't moral choices. 
Those aren't uh, spiritual choices. With, a hum- with the, the human uh, capacity or the angelic capacity to obey God or disobey God. All right? and, and never once do we have animal disobedience in the Scriptures. If he wants uh, a donkey to talk, that's what happens. If he wants bears to eat uh, hoodlums, that's what happens. If he wants any animal, if he wants serpents to bite Jews, that's what happens. Anytime God gives instructions, if there's a fish going to swallow Jonah, a fish is going to swallow Jonah. Never once does God give a command to the, angelic, to the animal realm and have an animal defy him. It just never happens. So, um, we have a contrast here. Sheol and Abaddon and humanity. The hearts of men. And so my first instinct as I started to do this, and this was months ago on a, on a recreational basis. I did a, a, a little recreational study. We were talking this morning about recreational studies. Hearts of men. Is there ever a verse in the Bible that has a heart connected to an angel? Can I find a heart with an angel? Can I find a verse to prove that angels have hearts? Saying, And it took me a while. It, I finally did. But at first it took me a while. And my recreational study was had lasted long enough and I thought I'm almost ready to stand before the people of God and say no angel ever has a cardia. No angel ever has or a lave, a lave or lavav in, uh, in Hebrew. And then, and, and then I'm glad I didn't stand before God's people to make that statement because uh, I found passages, glimpses, and they're not many, but there are a couple of places where it, it's, it's clear, okay? or at least debatable as far as that goes. So we'll, uh, we'll discuss that. So I, I still call them heartless, but I put it in quotes Okay, uh, this heartless because they don't have human hearts, and it's our heart that's after God's own heart. That's the thing. Humanity is in the image of God. Humanity, you see, when Jesus became the God Man, uh, humanity then was the realm of creation that's not only moral like the angels, but intimate. Okay, heart intimate. David is a man after God's own heart, and that's what we're we're getting to in this uh, in this aspect. All right, when we turn over to Hebrews twelve. We turn over to Hebrews 12, and we have my favorite passage on parental discipline, verses 4 through 11. Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11. And uh, this is a passage I grew up with. I had it in my childhood. It was a passage I was very well familiar with because as a youth I experienced a lot of parental discipline. And uh, things there. All right. So we have verses 1 through 3 where we're fixing our eyes on Jesus and we're considering Him and we don't lose heart. Then we have verse 4. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. You know, when believers are called into martyrdom um, and, and it's debatable too, we're going to talk about whether the shedding of blood is active or passive, having our blood shed, or whether we shed blood. That's a study. All right, and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And uh, in part, that, that hardness of heart that we're studying now where they need milk again and they can't handle Melchizedek doctrine and 
the things in chapter 4 and 5, um, here's, here's something they've forgotten. The exhortation addressed to you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Thank God for it. Don't regard it lightly. And don't blow it off and say, eh, okay. You know, he's disciplining you for a reason. If you don't learn these lessons, he's going to come back again. Uh, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Right? That's right out of Proverbs. So this is our, our benefit. This is our blessing to be sons. He disciplines us. How hard does he spank us? Well, a scourging was pretty hard. A Roman scourging, aka the Mel Gibson movie, right? God does the scourging. And sometimes it feels like that when the Father's belt hits us like that, right? It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now that is a rhetorical question, but he answers the rhetorical question. And we want to recognize this, the illegitimate son, the son that's claimed by another father. Okay. And so the the principle of sonship is huge and the principle of discipline is huge and that's what we don't want to lose sight of when we go back to Proverbs 15 and we see it there that the hearts of men, we lie open before the Lord far more than even Sheol and Abaddon. Now, and we're the ones that are of course sons of God. He's the firstborn among many brethren. And this is part where humanity is exalted over angelity, yet part of what your study goes into also has to imagine that there is a ranking of angels, the, the highest ranking of angels, or second highest ranking of angels that are called sons of God. All right, The B'nai Ha'elohim are the sons of God. And so within the angelic conflict um, are they subject to paternal discipline since they are called sons of God? What is that application? Because most angels don't. Um, and no angel today does. All the angels today are already locked into their yeah, angelity future. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. <laughs> Let me stay back here. So we, uh, who's without discipline? The bastards. Okay. Verse 8 says, if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Okay? Illegitimate children and not sons. And this takes some explanation anymore because our culture denies these things exist. Our culture says there's no such thing as an illegitimate child. Right? Like there's no such thing as an illegal person. There's no such thing as, and so they, they create these, these uh, fallacies in order to argue their point, which is really not arguable. Um, there are illegitimate children. The, the, the children of those born out of wedlock are bastards. Okay? The design of the father is for a man to marry, to leave his father and mother, to marry a woman, uh, and she herself is leaving her father and mother, and the two become one flesh. And that the design for God within marriage and family is structured in this way. And that for bringing up a godly seed, for bringing up clean versus unclean children, okay, sanctified children before the Lord, uh, this, is the, this is the design. And, uh, and now we've completely gone off the rails as far as our culture is concerned with the percentages that are, that are born uh, uh, out of wedlock. Okay? Even the term wedlock isn't used anymore. Wedlock is, th- is, is hate speech. You know? Wedlock is you know, 
patriarchy keeping the women down and whatever. I mean, it is protecting the women. It is protecting the men. It is protecting the children. It is, uh, it is just sad to me where, uh, where our culture has gone. So, um, to be an illegitimate child and not sons. And so uh, the concept of illegitimacy is one of shame. The concept of illegitimacy is one of, of um, it's not one of celebration. It's one of uh, secrecy. It's one of shame. It's one of, well, we don't talk about that. Uh, it's one of, um, it's, it's, it's because it's shame rather than openness. That's the difference. Okay? It's like um, premarital sex is sneaking around and hiding and that's shame as opposed to openness. Uh, the openness of blessings and you know when you're married when you stand at the altar when you say I do when you go forth as man and wife then uh, it's all there's no shame it's like well yeah you know it's it's uh, it's marital relations it's it's a joy it's uh, uh, it's not we're not hiding we're not sneaking and we're not uh, hoping dad doesn't find out okay um, you know dad dad knows about it because dad walked her down the aisle. Okay? And, and so we're not sneaking, we're not hiding, we're not ashamed. And likewise, um, for the, the bastards that are born, the baby's born without marriage, well, who's the father? How do I know I'm the father? Who else are you sleeping with? You see, because if, if you're going to sleep with me prior to marriage, who else are you going to sleep with prior to marriage? Who else are you going to sleep with apart from, you see what I'm saying? The one man, one woman uh, blessings of the covenant role that we have before God. So anyway, the language here is the language of bastards and um, it takes work to dispel that out. You are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, and so this is our privilege in humanity, we are sons. And, and he brings many sons to glory. And as his legitimate sons, we are birthed by the Father and he claims us. He claims us. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now this is key too, because we have earthly fathers to discipline us. And it's not fun, and we don't like it, but the process of being disciplined is good. It identifies who the Father is, who the Son is, what the order is. That parents are parents, not buddies. That children are subject to authority. That children are subject to the one that enforces infractions. Okay? And ideally, of course, children are subject even when they don't disobey. <laughs> children are subject when they obey, when they're good kids, when they do uh, you know, maybe their sin nature is more of a compliant kind and so they have a sneakier way to do their sins. But, they, uh, but they're still subject. And then the non-compliant child is subject as he's being disciplined. Um, there's another aspect. Feminism is removing discipline from subjection. And uh, they're redefining Ephesians and Colossians and they're redefining subjection. And uh, it's, it's evil. So just be warned. Um, but that's for a different day. Today we're still with children, okay? They disciplined us and we respected them. We respected them through the discipline, okay? 
And uh, women, you're commanded to respect your husbands and to be in subjection. Okay? And uh, anyway, we'll get into the feminist stuff later. Shall we not much rather, or much more, in addition to much more, again, it's a ratio, a perspective, how much more, shall we not how much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Okay? Stand before the Lord day by day and say, Father, discipline me. If I need it today, then I need it today. Discipline me. For they disciplined us as the human beings, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. <laughs> okay? They didn't know. They, they did what they could as unto the Lord. And some did better, some did worse. Um, but if, you know, in grace, as before the Lord, they were bringing up the children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and there you go. And if you think you're winging it sometimes, well, you probably are. Okay? And just winging it, but you're doing what you can to raise your sons, to raise your daughters, as seems best. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. He knows what He's doing. And it's not too short, it's not too long, it's not too much, it's not too soft. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, trained, wait a minute, trained. Isn't it through practice we're supposed to have our senses trained to discern good and evil? I think we saw that Sunday morning. There's training that takes place. And there's training that takes place when you learn academically. There's training that takes place when you follow the right example and you do well. But there's training, remedial training that takes place when you don't follow the right example and you sin and you fall short and uh, then he trains you through the discipline. He says, this is what you should have learned in Bible class. This is what you should have learned. Now you're going to learn the consequences. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there's a benefit there. Okay? <laughs> I use this verse in the army. When I, uh, I broke a rule, I didn't know it was a rule, but I learned <laughs> that it was a rule. And, uh, and so uh, I got disciplined, me and my friend. And we, uh, we got extra duty. And so we, did, we had our three-day pass was revoked. And we got extra duty and had to go up to the missile site and do an extra shift. And uh, it was almost like take away from the one who has one and give it to the one who has ten. And I got to do somebody else's duty. And, uh, and he got a three-day pass that I didn't get. And, uh, and whatever. Anyway, later that night, about three o'clock in the morning, I was on guard duty and, and the lieutenant who had assigned that duty came and talked to me. And, um, anyway, I thanked him. I thanked him for the discipline. And I said, you know, as per Hebrews chapter 12, uh, discipline is not enjoyable while you're going through it, but it trains you and you're better for it afterwards. And his jaw dropped. He never heard a private tell him anything like that before. And, you know, and, uh, Anyway, we're now friends on Facebook 25 years later, and he had no memory of this entire story. So I guess uh, I had an impact that night, and then he totally forgot about it afterwards. But whatever else. So this is the discipline, and this is what we're talking about. This is parental discipline. This is loving discipline. Now, forsaking the way, forsaking is abandonment. Forsaking. Forsaking is, the, the Hebrew verb is azav, azav, and it's abandonment. It is a, it is a tragic abandonment. 
by one from whom loyalty is expected. Forsaking. It's, it's a harsh word. Forsaking means there's supposed to be uh, there's supposed to be a connection. There's supposed to be a loyalty. There's supposed to be a love. There's supposed to be a duty. There's supposed to be something. Okay? And then you break that. You break that when you forsake. And, and so there's going to be, if, you know, consequences. And in, depending on what you're breaking, there's going to be hurt. Okay? And uh, since God expects chesed, loyalty, the blessed loving kindness that He shows to us and we're to show for Him, uh, when we forsake that, it's, uh, it's called apostasy and we're falling away from the faith and we are forsaking the chesed loyalty that God loves. And when loyalty is expected and when you betray that, when you forsake that, it's a betrayal. Okay? And that's some of the toughest testing we're going to face is the betrayal testing. Forsaking is azav abandonment. A-Z-A-B or V. I prefer B. Glenn prefers V when you transliterate that. You'll, you'll find out whatever Jason prefers. But it starts with ayin. Ayin is the, uh, is the uh, apostrophe. Make sure when you draw your apostrophe, you draw it to the left like that. You draw it like it's an open quote instead of a closed quote. If you angle your apostrophe the other direction, that's a different Hebrew letter. So angle your apostrophe to the left, and that's your ayin. Ayin, A-Z-A-B. Number 5800 is the strongest concordance. And uh, I didn't put it on the screen. Oh yeah, I did. Parents... Yeah, this is when, when you leave your father and mother and cleave to one another, that's azav. It is a forsaking, okay? And it's a good forsaking, it's in design, it's, it's by God's will, it is, a, it is designed to be that way. But the loyalty you had to them as your parents, they're still your parents and you still love them, you're not abandoning love, but you no longer have loyalty. Your allegiance now is to your spouse, that's the one you're vowing for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You no longer have the loyalty, the obedience. You still honor them, you still love them, but you don't no longer have the loyalty. Your loyalty is now to your spouse. All right. Azav abandonment. By one from whom loyalty is expected. Parents, paganism, and sin should be forsaken, but never the Lord or His Word. Yeah, you can you can forsake paganism all the time, and I recommend that you do. <laughs> okay, if you've got some lingering paganism somewhere uh, that you're hiding away, uh, just forsake it today. Okay, and uh, and that and sin, forsake sin absolutely. We recommend that. Okay, so uh, but forsaking the Lord, no, no, no. Forsaking Bible class, oh no, you're breaking my heart. Forsaking uh, forsaking your spouse, no, no, no. Okay. So let's look at some of these. Deuteronomy 28. And this is what uh, this is why we're talking about believers in divine discipline here because of the nature of the forsaking in verse 10. All right, Deuteronomy 28. Many of these you're probably already familiar with. The uh, children of the Exodus generation are now getting ready to go into the land. And we call them the wilderness generation. They're going to go into the land and then they're 
their children will become the, the conquest generation, the, the first ones to actually be born in the land. But um, So now they're reciting cursings, they're reciting blessings on Mount Ebal and on Mount Gerizim. And then when we get here, look at all these cursings. Um, we have a, a chapter of cursings in 27, we have a chapter of blessings in 28, and then just to recap, let's review a few more of those cursings again. <laughs> okay? In, uh, also in 28. So verse 15 says, It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall your, your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have, and here's our verb, Lazav, you have forsaken me. Okay? And this is now, of course, this is in a national context for Israel and their national divine discipline, but we can readily see where the parallel would be on an individual basis as well. The covenant people of God were expected to be righteous. They were expected to operate under the law. They were expected to glorify Yahweh as a righteous nation, as a holy nation. And if they don't, if they turn aside from His commands and start going the way of idolatry, start following Baal or start following Molech or start following whoever, then as a nation this is what their society can expect. These cursings that are mentioned here. Alright? And uh, curses, confusion, rebuke, until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly. Well that's these are all designed to bring about repentance, but if repentance doesn't come, national destruction is the consequence. Because you have forsaken me, and the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. And it goes and shows some of the other things here. And, and we should be familiar with this. Leviticus 26 gives us the five cycles of discipline and we know the consequences that come upon a nation when they are idolatrous and when they are, are not pleasing in God's sight. Over our next chapter, 29-25. And... Verse 22, the, uh, the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when they see the plagues of the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive and no grass grows in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and in His wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus? to the land. Why this great outburst of anger? So divine discipline is instructive and if you don't learn the lessons, well, you die the sin and the death. Nevertheless, somebody's going to learn those lessons. Your children will see it, your church will see it, your community will see it. 
all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this? And then it will be said, because they, Azav, forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. You know, He brings them out of Egypt. He redeems them from the, from the, the bondage. He makes them His covenant people. He gives them the law. And so if they forsake that, see, here we get brought out of our bondage, bondage to sin, and He makes us His people, identifies us, baptizes us in the union with His Son, and then what are we going to do? We're going to live in defiance of that? You believe there's judgment. Judgment begins with the house of God. Accountability is swift. And if we don't learn, well, hopefully our children can learn. Chapter 31, verses 6, 8, 16, 17. And uh, Moses says, you know what? I'm about to die. In verse 2, I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. And uh, the Exodus or the uh, wilderness generation now becomes the conquest generation, and they have to go in, and they've got to go in without Moses. And um, he says in verse six, "Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you." And it's the same Gazav. So. You know, in part, some of the, the reason why Gazav is such a horrendous sin is because it flies in the face of what God does. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Okay, thank you, God. He never forsakes us. Why am I forsaking him? See how it's just, uh, it just turns it around. And it's, uh, no, he's not forsaken us. He should expect loyalty. Verse 8. He, uh, Moses calls Joshua and tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And uh, the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. We have these great promises of neither leaving you nor forsaking you. Verses 16 and 17 as well. The Lord said to Moses, behold, you're about to lie down with your fathers and this people will arise and play the harlot with the strange gods of the land. <laughs> you know, can you imagine you want to think that after you're gone, they're going to thrive, you know. A pastor wants to think that, you know, after he's gone, the next pastor's going to take this flock and they're just going to stick with the truth and they're going to thrive. And here's the Lord telling Moses, yep, you're going to go and they're going to play the harlot. They're going to rise and play the harlot with the strange gods of this land into the midst of which they are going. And they will forsake me and they will break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be consumed, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, is it not because our God is not among us that these evils have come upon us? But I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they will do, for they will turn to other gods. And so those are the usages there. Joshua 24, we know because you've got it on your doormat, on your front, your front door, so that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Right? Joshua 24. And 
in verse 16. <laughs> the warning comes in 14 and 15. Fear the Lord, serve Him, put away the gods which your father served beyond the river. You know, they carried those idols with them for 40 years. They still had them to this day. He says, get rid of those things, would you? If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, and the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Oh, no, no, no. Far be it from us. This would never happen. It's like Peter denying the Lord. Far be it from us that we would ever, Lazav, forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And, uh, okay. So, um, we will serve the Lord. He is our God. That's verse 18. So Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do you harm and consume you after He has done good to you. But the people said, oh, no, no, no. We will serve the Lord. Yeah. Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves. You have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. See, they accepted the conditional covenant of Sinai, the conditional covenant of Moses. And now they're, now they're accountable. Psalm 16 and verse 10. Here's a proverb, or a, a promise. The great messianic psalm of Psalm 16. Uh, verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because He is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. The abandonment there, the forsaking in Jesus Christ has the promise of resurrection. This is not David. This is David speaking, but he's prophetically speaking, looking ahead to Christ. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. What a Christological psalm. And uh, he had every expectation of resurrection as he was hanging there on the cross and uh, anticipating what he was going to do when uh, this unpleasant work was finished. Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you lazav me? My God, my God, why have you gazaved me? Lazav. He said he wouldn't. But it looks like he did. <laughs> he said he wouldn't. But he's hanging on the cross and everything's in darkness. He has no fellowship with the Father and no fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And he repeats the my God, my God. I think it's reference to Father and Holy Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Yet. See, he's not, he's not grumbling. He's lamenting. 
Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. He knows who he's serving. He knows that Yahweh is the God of his fathers. Yahweh is always faithful. Yahweh said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so even though it seems like he's forsaken me, where else am I going to go? You know, the Lord asked Peter, are you guys going to abandon me also? And Peter said, where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. In you our fathers trusted. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a man, a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. So he's lamenting, but he's still expressing faith. Verse 9, yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. When you've been walking with the Lord so long you can't remember you know, you have no waking memory, no living memory. You don't, you don't remember a time you weren't in Sunday school or you weren't going to church or you weren't, you know, because you were saved so young. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. And it's, it's curious too, we, dogs are surrounding me, evildoers. Um, verse 19, O Lord, be not far off, be my help, hasten to my assistance. When, it, when all of this is done, though, look what he's looking forward to in verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. He's making I will statements on the cross. <laughs> Knowing that his death is not the end of it. God has promised to not abandon him to Sheol. So I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. And he talks about uh, what he's going to do here in post-crucifixion, post-resurrection glory. Tremendous statement of faith. Finally, Proverbs 2, verses 13 and 17. This is why we want to uh, be in the Word of God. What happens when you walk in the upright path? What happens when you... uh, Take in the Word of God and treasure it in your heart. And uh, wisdom, let's see, verse uh, 8 says, Guarding the paths of justice, He preserves the way of His godly ones. You will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. Wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is what the New Testament would describe as letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. You've got active doctrine in your soul. Who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil. Whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. Alright, the Word of God is going to save you from this. Those who leave, that's the uh, abandonment from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Okay? So who is it we warn our children about? We warn them about the pagans, the godless, the unbelievers, the crowd that's never been to church in their life and never got saved, never named the name of Christ. Or, I mean, yes, we do warn them about those guys. But more so, how much more so 
those that used to walk with us, those that used to live according to the Word of God, and now they're gone. What are they doing now? From those who leave the paths of uprightness. Be on guard against apostates. Be on guard. And I know we love them. I know. I know their family, their friends, they, they used to be with us. They used to love the Lord. They used to love feasting. They're feasting on other things these days. And that's a deeper darkness than, than the unbeliever that never, that never named the name of Christ. So uh, if they've left the paths of uprightness, I don't have fellowship with them. There's no concord. There's no harmony. It's an abandonment. It's a forsaking. Same thing uh, with the uh, harlot, the strange woman. The paths are crooked. They're devious in their ways to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves, that abandons, forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Divorce is a forsaking. Divorce is an abandonment from one that loyalty is expected and uh, the companion of her youth. Well, nowadays marriage vows are being rewritten. Nowadays it's so long as we both shall love. You know, nowadays it's, you know, until something better comes along. I tell you. The companion of your youth. Well, she's not as young as she used to be. Yeah, well, neither are you. (laughs) All right. Is she older? So are you. Grow old together. That's the point. And... uh, Anyway, that's an abandonment. The Lord hates it. I hate it. It's an abandonment by one from whom chesed is expected. This chesed loyalty. Hosea 6.6, I desire chesed and not sacrifice. Psalm 25.10, Psalm 85.8-13. Psalm 25.10. See, it's more than just a departure. If you depart in the will of God, it's not a forsaking. Cliff and Terry didn't forsake Austin Bible Church when Pastor Cliff became the pastor of, of Lost Pines Bible Church. You understand the difference? You know, it's not, a, it's, not, it's not just a departure. They left in the will of God and we, we love them and we celebrate their, their departure because it's, it's all goodness, it's great things. And Dan and Stephanie, they didn't forsake us when he became pastor of Corpus Christi Bible Church. All right? Lewis won't be forsaking us when he takes a pulpit somewhere. That's not the way that works, okay? I want to be clear on that. Psalm 25. Verse 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore He instructs sinners in the way. Alright? That's us. We're sinners saved by grace, learning from the Lord, he leads the humble in justice. He, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. That's the chesed. Loving kindness and truth. That's loyalty and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And you're going to abandon that? You're going to tell God that his word is wrong? And that your lifestyle is just as valid and you're going to celebrate perversity? Okay? 
celebrate diversity is what they're celebrating, but it's perversity. It's a perversion. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. And so when loyalty is expected and you forsake that, you forsake that path, your fellow believers are going to be warned to be on guard against you. Okay? All right. Now, are we clear? We, We don't treat them as enemies. We love them. And the day they come back, we're going to slay the fatted calf and put a robe on them and and just love them even more. All right? But while they're still out there eating with the pigs, they're still the prodigal. There's no harmony. There's no fellowship. There's no concord. There's there's no, there's nothing in common. Okay? That's, we got to, we got to get that. When we fail to live that, we damage ourselves. Well, I'm just going to visit for a weekend, okay? Eating with the pigs in Pigland, wherever the prodigal went to. And then, you know, next thing I know, hey, there's parties, there's harlots, there's fast living, there's, you know, nobody back home is going to know. I'm, I'm, I'm ministering to, I'm trying to bring them back. No, they are bringing you into their darkness is what they're doing. When they come back, the father was watching from a distance. The father met him at the property line, at the boundary of the property line, and carried him across the threshold. Okay? We can't go out there. We've got to be on guard. And this is, you know, this is this is biblical. It's not judgmental. This is not evil. This is not, you know, uh, some people say, well, shunning is is hate, not love. No, it's love. Absolutely love. You know, what's what's not love is is uh, the, the the Quran and Muslims, uh, you know, executing a, a <laughs> an apostate. You know, some of the leaves of Islam is subject to being executed by their fellow Muslims. Okay, I agree. That's not love. Okay, that's evil. That's wrong. God never calls us to execute the apostate. We love them, but it's going to be from a distance until they repent. Has to be. Anyway, that's Psalm twenty-five. Psalm. 85 I will hear what the God what God the Lord will say for he will speak peace to his people to his godly ones but let them not turn back to folly surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is the, the marriage of grace and faith, right? The marriage of loving kindness and truth, righteousness and peace. Truth springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. Isn't that something? You know, Old Testament believers, they, they knew, they had a perspective for walking in the light, living the word of God. Righteousness and truth, loving kindness, all these principles. And when this kind of loyalty is expected and we turn aside, no, no. 
Let them not turn back to folly. All right. Parents, paganism and sin should all be forsaken, but never the Lord or His Word. We'll come back to this next week. You already know Genesis 2.24. You know, a man should forsake his parents, father and mother, and cleave to one another. The two shall become one flesh. It is a strong verb. It is the verb of forsaking. And uh, which is normally used in a bad context, but in generally, generationally speaking, it's used in a good context. And uh, Ruth said, Ruth forsook her people. She forsook the Moabites to say, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. So paganism is just fine to forsake. And sin. Forsake your sin and live. Alright, Father, thank you for this morning, thank you for this truth. I pray that we would be humble to receive it that we would be loyal and not forsake your truth. And it's going to hurt, Father, because we've got loved ones that used to be hungry as anything and, and now they're just conformed to this world, Father. They're out there in the world, conformed to the world, no longer being transformed. And uh, they're expressing attitudes of darkness. And it's so destructive to their own soul and it's going to be destructive to our soul too. So hedge us about, protect us, keep us from this evil way. Thank you, Father. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.